I'd love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. It's where we are going to start together in a few moments. And then, of course, the sermon notes in your bulletin will be very helpful to you as we move ahead. My greetings to those joining us online and in the TV viewing area. Good to have you with us all the time. I wanted to mention as well, as we head toward the text, just so you know where um, your staff is preaching, ministering throughout the, the morning, um, Pastor Kevin is, is preaching this morning up at Central. Uh, Pastor Matt is speaking down at Grace. Uh, Pastor Nate is speaking at Temple Baptist. And I also wanted you to know there's been a, a bit of a shift for one of our guys. Um, uh, Pastor Matt, as you know, has had a hand at TBS, now called Sound Christian Academy, uh, over the years. And uh, he has been appointed interim head of school which is a pretty big deal, which means he's going to reduce hours here. He's going to stay on our staff, but it's an interim role. We'll see how long that is. But he was the right person for it. And we've been in an extensive dialogue about a whole lot of things related to that, and he was the right person at the right time. So um, Sunset has is, is sent one of our best, of course, to serve in that role. Interim head of school, Sound Christian Academy, fantastic. He'll still be around. You'll still see him. But different role for a period of time, at least. Wanted you to know. Well, this morning, of course, we come to the story of Abraham. And if you were here yesterday, I kind of feel like the play told most of this morning's sermon. My work here is easy. Uh, though there will be some added features today that we didn't cover on stage for a whole variety of reasons. But, but, but our rhythm here at Sunset Bible Church, as you know, is to use Christmas as one of our uh, really special focused teaching times. So uh, this year, as you know, you've heard us say it, it's the beginning of our seven-year rotation again. It's year one. So we begin this little journey uh, with the story of Ruth, oh, like 13 years ago. And as soon as we got into the story of Ruth, we said, oh, we should have started with Abraham. So we went through our series of six and then did a prequel back to Abraham, and now we have been, been, been through that seven-year cycle, and this is really the beginning of our third trip through this, this uh, cycle of seven. And we repeat it on purpose. We repeat it because if God's people get their hands around these seven key moments in the story of redemption, you're, you're pretty well going to have your hands around the whole story of redemption, okay? So each of these is really important uh, for God's people to understand. We also like to repeat it because we watch our children hear those mountain peaks and begin to understand. And then, like you'll, you saw yesterday, if you were here, and you'll see tonight perhaps, the kids on stage, where were they seven years ago? And I look at some of our younger ones and think, in seven years, you too will be doing this. Seven years, you're going to say, I want to play that role next time when I'm a little bigger. And so I love seeing uh, the repetition. It's really, really good. So uh, our preaching, of course, goes along with that. The seven-year plan, of course, is included here in your sermon notes. like to have you see the part of that. But today we get to focus on one element of the story of Abraham. And my sermon title captures my goal. And that is, I want to think with you about how God's promises stretch our faith. And of course, to hear the story of Abraham is to hear the, the stretching of faith, uh, the challenge to believe God. I mean, you do, you do believe God, but to see how it works out, 
to see how he's going to keep his promises is sometimes, it's just hard. And we want to live into that this morning and feel it in the text. And at the same time, uh, we, we look at the, the stretching of faith. We want to spend some time looking at God who makes promises and keeps them every single time. Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. We'll cover a bit of Genesis. We really will. This is a, this is a, um, we're going to move a lot. So anyway, I hope you're ready for that. And I'd like to pray for us as we come to God's word. Join me if you would, please. Our Father, how good it is always as your people to open the Bible uh, here in this world of uncertainty and struggle, difficulty, how we need something certain and sure, and that would be you, as you teach us what you're like in the scripture. So would you meet us, each one of us here today, in, in this text, in the story of Abraham and Sarah, help us to feel their struggle as it relates even to ours. Uh, we struggle too sometimes. Would you help us right where we're at today? In Jesus' name, amen. Oh my goodness. Well, we want to begin in Genesis 12, this familiar telling and, and reading of what you'd call the classic Abrahamic covenant. Now, we met Abraham in the latter uh, paragraph or so of Genesis 11, but we come to this moment. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to move very quickly through some chapters ahead. But I want us to hear it and become very familiar with, with these key texts. On your sermon notes, I'm moving straight to the part that's called a story of faith and waiting. That's where I'm going, okay? Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. God's word then as we read. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And you remember last week, we drew a direct connection from that final verse, Genesis 12, 3, to Galatians chapter 3, where the apostle Paul references that, that line, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul uses the New Testament word for good news or gospel. And he's pointing out, really, when, when God said this to Abraham, though Abraham didn't see it, in the mind and heart of God, he was already speaking of Jesus, Messiah, Savior, who was to come. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul says that was the gospel in, in seed form a long time ago. And so we looked at that last week. Well, today we hear that promise and we're going to see it repeated and something that Abraham and Sarah struggle with. All right. So Genesis 12 is this. Now, you, moving over to chapter 13, I told you we're going to move quickly. We are. We're going to go to chapter 13. We're moving over the, the, the narrative at the end of chapter 12, this journey to, to Egypt that you know was not stellar. It's referenced very subtly in our play on stage. So either you know the story or you don't, but it's, it's there for you in chapter 12. But you come to chapter 13, 
This is an interesting story where Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, is going to leave. There's been family struggles. Can you imagine family struggles? I mean, who's ever heard of such a thing? Well, there's family struggles in the tents here with Abraham and his family. Lot and his crowd uh, are having a struggle with Abraham and his guys. So the flocks and herds are getting big, and there's strife between and the family. It's not good. And there's a moment where, where Abraham says to his nephew Lot, I tell you what, let's not fight. Um, you get to choose. You, if you go that way, I'll go this way. And if you go this way, I'll go that way. And let's just not fight about it. And Lot takes a look around and says, let's see, barren desert, uh, nicely watered Jordan Valley, happens to be near Sodom and Gomorrah, but the grass is good. And he says, I'll go there. So Lot heads off toward the well-watered Jordan Valley, uh, area Sodom and Gomorrah, and so on. Abraham says, no problem, we'll go this direction. As soon as Lot leaves. It's like God backs up his dump truck of blessing. It's kind of like that. And I think the text emphasizes this. So I'm in Genesis 13, verse 14. Watch how the, the writer tells us, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, it's like he just left. And God says, lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Notice these phrases. I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the land, the length and breadth of the land. I'll give it to you. So Abram moved his tent came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And watch this phrase, there he built an altar to the Lord. If you study Genesis, you will find that phrase over and over again as God's faithful people establish a moment as a time of worship. That's, it's like saying, this is a holy place and a holy moment. I'm going to acknowledge God right here. He called on the name of the Lord. Some of your texts will say, built an altar to the Lord and said, this is going to be a, a sacred place. So the promise is repeated. You hear it in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. Here it's repeated uh, in a key moment. Now, chapter 14, again, just watch these moments and, and feel the years going by and the repetition of the promise. You're hearing the promise again and again. And it's involving descendants, and there are still none. That's, what, that's the underlying current you're supposed to be feeling here. So chapter 14, then, there's this moment where Lot and his, his crowd are taken captive by some enemies. And Abraham says, okay, we're going after the boys. He rolls up his sleeves, gets his soldiers, well, it's his crew, his, his, his family household, arms them. This is an amazing story uh, all by itself, chapter uh, thir- uh, 14, verse 14. And he goes out and he says, we're going after the family. Even though we didn't get along with them, no, we're going for them. They're in trouble. Roll up your sleeves, boys. We're going in. Sends out like a commando raid and, he, and they win. So they get Lot back. But that isn't the main thing here I want to look at. It's starting in verse 17. This is an amazing, amazing moment. Abram comes back from the defeat of these kings and the king of Salem, in this case, Melchizedek is verse 18. Some of these kings come out, but Melchizedek, who you, you, you meet here, and there's a lot of teaching about this in the New Testament book of Hebrews. So Melchizedek, watch this, who is like a prototype, so to speak, of Messiah Jesus. He's the king of Salem. He's a worshiper of the true God. King of Salem, which means king of peace. And Jer- Salem, of course, is like uh, the original for Jeru, what is it? Jerusalem. 
All right, so king of Salem, he's the king of peace, by his name, king of righteousness. Now, the writer to Hebrews makes a big deal about this. His name, Melchizedek, Melech is the Hebrew word for king. Zedek is like part of the word righteousness in Hebrew. So by his name, king of righteousness, and by his, the place where he serves, king of peace. So Melchizedek is like this prototype of Messiah Jesus. He comes and he meets Abram too. And in this amazing moment, this prototype of Jesus, so to speak, some would say a pre-incarnate Jesus, that's a whole other topic, he blesses Abraham. Still called Abram at this point, but I, you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high, who's delivered your enemies into your hand. This is an amazing moment. And to read the book of Hebrews, I hope you do, this, this is the paragraph that the writer to the Hebrews says, do you see this? Do you see the work of Jesus, our Savior? And in this case, Melchizedek, this prototype at least of, of Messiah Jesus coming and blessing Abram. Wow, in you, of course, this one through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed, blessed here in this really iconic way. Now, I'm heading right into chapter 15. And I want to read 1 through 6, okay? Promise, of course, has been made. Chapter 12, years are going by. Promise is repeated. So here then in chapter 15, we read this. After these things, then, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Well, you can just hear. God, you made a promise. You said we're going to have a kid. That was hard to believe because, you know, I'm 75, he would say. I'm not. Just the text. <laughs> Abraham, 75. Sarah, 65. He's going, we might want to, you know, get on that. And years are going by. It's getting harder and harder to believe all the time. So he says, okay, Lord. What will you give me? How about a kid? That's the idea here. Abram says, behold, verse 3, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. That was the plan of the day. That's the way things work. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring or your descendants be. And he, that's Abraham, believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, at the play yesterday, my brief comments at the end, I mentioned this. I'll tell you this now. You should, if you come this afternoon, you'll hear it there again. This is a verse you should know. Because it introduces not only word for word, but in seed form, teaching that runs through the whole Bible. Okay, this is, this is what the Apostle Paul is going to be talking about. We're going to go there in a few minutes. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him, accounted to him as righteousness. It was not by works. It's not because he was such a stellar guy. It wasn't because he was so smart. It wasn't because he behaved so well all the time. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him, credited to him as righteousness. Now, this is, again, this is an iconic moment that you just have to know to make sense of the whole message of the Bible. But here it is in, in very clear form in the story of Abraham. Now, a, a major issue here, okay? One would think, one might think erroneously, 
that Abraham believes God and it's all good from here. It gets easier. Isn't that what people think sometimes? I'm just going to, I'm going to follow the God of the Bible or I'm going to trust Christ as my savior. or I'm going to, you know, try going to church for a while. It's going to get easier. Well, well, guess what? In real life, it's not always like that. And I want, I point this out because from what's going to, what's going to follow here, I wish it was all easier from here, but it isn't. Did you know that Abraham could believe God be, be saved, so to speak, to use New Testament terms, and even after that struggle with faith? Can you imagine that? Yes, you can, because you do too. You can believe God for righteousness, resulting in righteousness, and at times still struggle to get it, to understand it, to trust God for it. And Abraham does. He struggles to get it right. So I'm saying this, I press on it because I want you to know that you can be, indeed, a, a, a true person of faith, trusting Christ as your Savior from sin, and still kind of struggle with stuff. And it doesn't make you a, like a bad Christian or like you flunked Sunday school or something. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that. So if you wrestle with things and don't get it and that doesn't make sense, and I, man, I, I believe like the one guy says to Jesus, but help my unbelief, you're in good company. And may I say, you're in good company in this room. Because a whole bunch of us hit places, whether it's a place in our life where we say, God, I mean, I do, I do trust you, I do, but this is really hard. I'm reminded here as I think all this through, Back in October, we had a guest speaker, Stefan Gustafsson, you remember, an apologist from Europe was with us, and he spoke from Psalm 73 in one of, our, one of the three sermons he presented that morning, and his title there was, If God is Good, remember this? Why isn't he? And he's looking at that psalm that just wrestles with the goodness of God in faith. I, I just you hear it now, and I'll mention it again if I get to it. Um, it is possible to be a person of faith and wrestle with things faithfully before the Lord. And that's what I would want you to do. As you wrestle with things with God, wrestle with those things faithfully, faithful, full of faith. Wrestle with them faithfully before the Lord. Okay, you can, it's, you can do that. Well, uh, well, we'll see how that develops later in the text. But I, I want you to see Genesis 15, 6 is this wonderful moment. But if you think at this moment, Abraham believes God and what's the, what are the magic words? And he lived happily ever after. Yeah, we know where those words belong. It's called a, what is it? Yes, it's a fairy tale. It's not real life. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness, and life continues. Okay, all right. Now, I want to go then immediately then into this paragraph that follows, starting at verse 7. And I'm moving here on my sermon notes to the section called A Covenant-Making and Covenant-Keeping God. I'm going there. So uh, I'm not done, uh, even though I separated it out kind of neatly on your sermon notes there, the, season, the story of faith and waiting. We're really not done with that section. There's more faith and waiting yet to come, but we're moving into this emphasis. It's a little more God-centered. So this is an interesting text. You might not read this to your children before bedtime because they might struggle with this, but I'm going to read it starting at verse 7, give a bit of the context, and 
kind of move ahead here. But, but watch what happens. God cutting a covenant. Genesis 15, 7. He said to him, that is, God says to Abraham, those are the he's, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Right. Now, doesn't that make you want to say, well, Abraham, God said it. And we all learned this as kids. God said it. I believe it. Oh, does it? I'm not picking on our song that we sang as children, but I'm just saying, come on, be real with me here. God said it. I believe it. I struggle with it. That's, this doesn't go in a song, and you, you're not going to tell your kids that. But God said it. I believe it. I struggle with it. Yeah, try, with, try it sometime. Sing it. It'll work. God, Abraham says, how am I going to know that I possess it? And you say, well, God's, anyway. He, so God says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all, all, all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. They're small, right? And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, watch the promise here again. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Talking about Egypt here. But I will bring judgment on the nation, that's Egypt, that they serve. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions in the Exodus. As for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, that is your descendants, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So the timing isn't quite right at this moment. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Can you imagine this? And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of thee. And then there's a whole bunch of ites. And you can read those. It's a whole bunch of people we've never met. So the land of the Canaanites, etc. So if you look at my notes, I want you to see this. What's, what's being done here is kind of weird to the modern brain. You bring these animals and we're going to, I mean... Cut him, cut, him, cut him in half? All right. Um, put the parts over here. And Now, this, they didn't make this up at this moment. This was a, 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 a well-known, in that culture at the time, way of making a, a blood-earnest covenant. You didn't do this when you made a promise to meet somebody for lunch. Like, I promise, get a goat. No, you didn't do that. This was for something much bigger than that. This is a moment when somebody's going to make a promise and they're saying, I put my life on this. In fact, I'm saying here that if I break, if I break this, may my life be like these animals. Okay? That's the idea. It's that serious of a moment. So, so ordinarily, both parties would walk between. But you'll notice in this case... Only one party walks through. This is what's called a unilateral covenant. That means one party is making the promise. Abram goes to sleep. Well, kind of, I, I suspect he's in a fog, um, kind of a stupor. That's, that's my hunch here. And, and this, this symbol of God, this, this fire, walks between the parts. And God says, I make my covenant. I, I'm just pointing out here. This is not a bilateral covenant. 
It's a unilateral covenant. God saying, I will keep my promise to you, Abraham, and I don't need your help. This doesn't depend on you and your behavior and how much you deserve it, how much you earn it. It doesn't depend on you at all. It depends on me alone. Isn't that interesting? Now, that should give you great confidence. Should have given Abraham great confidence here. No, this doesn't depend, this doesn't depend on your behavior. This is, oh, my goodness sakes. It's looking ahead to New Testament truth. I can hardly wait to get there. It's looking ahead to New Testament truth. How is anybody made right with God? Is it half you and half him? Come on. No, it's not even 5% you and 95% him because you don't have 5%. See? No, we're broke. So we come to God trusting Christ in him alone. It's all him. We come with empty hands. Oh, Lord, here I am. I have nothing. I can't guarantee your promises. It's, it's got to be you or, or, or nothing. 100%. 100% you. That's the idea here in chapter 15. Now, I'm moving on because we have other things I want to look at here with you. When you get to chapter 16, this is that moment with, with Hagar, the Egyptian servant girl. And if you're not familiar with the story, we didn't represent it in our play um, for a whole variety of reasons. It's kind of hard to represent in a play on stage. Uh, but, but it was following, as I put here on your notes, um, a, a, a normal custom of the day to have a child by a surrogate. Now, it's not quite the same way it is today. I'll let you read the text. Um, but but it, 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 they didn't make this up. That's what I want you to see. Abraham and Sarah didn't make this up. It was a common custom of the day. wasn't what God had in mind. But Abraham now, you have to understand, Abraham's 86, 86 years old. How many years ago did God make the promise? 11 God made a promise that we'd have kids, kid, kid at least. 11 years have gone by. The nursery is empty. Oh, by the way, Sarah's 11 years older too. 11 years, she's, she's like 76. And, and you start looking around saying, did we, maybe, maybe we're supposed to, I mean, figure this out. And God made a promise and, and, Maybe this is the maybe this is how God's going to deliver us, give us a kid. Well, um, Ishmael arrives, born to Hagar. Ishmael arrives, and boy, is this is this the answer to the promise? Well, God has more to say. So you come to chapter seventeen. Okay, guys, you're doing good. We're moving through a bunch of text. I know, I know, more than we normally do. Usually stay in one place more. Genesis 17, Abraham was 99 years old. So Ishmael is like a young teenager, right? It's working. We got him through the terrible twos. And, you know, Ishmael, here he goes. And, and, and the Lord comes and talks to Abraham again and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Abraham fell on his face before God. God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be called. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall name be Abram. Your name shall be Abraham. Here's the big name change. I'll make you the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, to your offspring after you. I'll give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. 
all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Wow. Okay. Now, what follows is God giving the covenant of circumcision, which is also a big deal story as the Bible unfolds. Now, uh, I want to move to what God says afterwards, because you come to verse 15. He, he explains the whole deal of the, of, of the covenant of circumcision. And then God says to Abraham in 15, as for Sarah, remember her? <laughs> hmm. You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I'll bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. Remember that promise? I meant you and Sarah. That becomes real clear here. I will bless her. She'll become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He keeps falling down. I don't think that's a function of his age. Um, he's going to live to be 175, so he does have a ways to go here. He falls on his face again before the Lord, and he, oh man, he laughs. Sarah's going to laugh later. Right now, Abraham's laughing. It says... Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90, bear a child? And watch this. Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, can we just call it good? We got this kid. Ishmael, can we just... I mean, can we just go with this? And God says, No. Verse 19. But Sarah... Your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Yitzhak, Isaac, laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And he says, as for Ishmael, I've heard, and I'm going to do all kinds of things for him, but my covenant I'll establish with Isaac. May I just say, as an aside, it's on your sermon notes, second bullet point under this heading. This, this business of Ishmael and Isaac unfortunate chapter, I suppose, if you look at how this all plays out. The struggle with this is still around 3,400 years later, isn't it? Yeah, Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, if you will. Isaac, the father of the Jewish crowd. So, my goodness sakes, this struggle that we see playing out right today in the Middle East, guess where its roots are? Yep, right here in today's, in today's story. That's where it all began. Well, priority, the land, to whom does it belong? Well, it doesn't belong just because of 1948. Uh, I would suggest it goes all the way back here. That's where it came from. So read your Bibles, and it adds a lot to your understanding of what's going on in culture around you. But, but I, I, I come here to this, this text, the story with Abraham and Sarah. God is very, very clear what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a son by Sarah. Now, chapter 18, we visit in, the, in our play on stage. This is the, when the angel of the Lord shows up. Sarah's in the tent, and here's all this going on. A year from now, I'm going to come. Sarah's going to have a child, and not only Abraham laughs, but now Sarah laughs. And in our play, of course, you know that that's Miss Nancy. Um, she's listening in the, in the tent. She laughs. The angel of the Lord says Sarah laughed. Nancy, as only Nancy can say, Kind of, it's a snarky. Yeah, you, did you notice that if you saw the play yesterday? It's really cool because she puts her little spin on it. We always picture Sarah kind of being this smiled. Oh, but I didn't laugh. No, if it's Nancy interpreting that text, it's got a little, a little bite. I did not laugh. If you come tonight, you'll know exactly what I mean because she'll kind of, it's good. Um, I didn't laugh. 
Now, Isaac's going to be born. And of course, in chapter 18, verse 14, is anything too hard? Is anything too hard for the Lord? If you look at my sermon notes, third bullet point there under this heading, the years have gone by, and I'm just wanting to visit again this issue of waiting. Okay? Uh, in the play, as in the text, uh, we make a big deal about how it takes 25 years for God to keep his promise. Can I ask you this, the Bible scholars among us? Does God ever explain why the 25-year wait? Hmm? Answer would be no. He never says why. Why couldn't it have been a, you know, one-year wait? That's pretty long. Why, why 25? God never explains the why of the wait, other, to, other than to emphasize so that it would be evident that it was God all along and not human plans. And I put here on your notes, again, I'm, I'm speaking to all of you, to all of us who wait for things. And I'm remembering with you two psalms, of course, at this moment, psalms that had not been written. This is pre-David, etc. But I'm, I'm remembering with you the, the, the waiting, the faithful waiting before the Lord that is a, has always been a part of the life of the people of God, and it still is. And I'm remembering with you Psalm 13, verse 1, where, How long, O Lord, is repeated. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The psalm writer says, how long will I have sorrow in my heart? How long will I wait before you? How long will my enemies triumph over me? How long, Lord? I mean, come on. He doesn't quite say that, but that's the idea. Lord, how long? How long? How long? You come to Psalm 130, uh, similar expression in that psalm. I, I will wait for you. My soul will wait that's, uh, of course, uh, the theme behind a, a song today written by some other writers made popular by Shane and Shane. I will wait for you. Love that song. Uh, if you want to find it on YouTube, go for it. I will wait for you. It's a, it's a song of faithful waiting. Faithful waiting. I wait for you. Oh, Lord, I wait for you. Some of you are waiting waiting to see how this resolves, waiting for that relationship to heal, waiting for a change of some sort, waiting, hopefully waiting in hope, hopefully waiting in faith. And I just say to all of you who are waiting for something to fix or change or heal, wait in faith, wait in hope. God sees and values your faithful Waiting, And if that faithful waiting comes with tears, he sees and values those two. You stand in good stead with others who have waited on the Lord. So hear that, please, in this text. I want to shift to Romans 4. Big, big, big move here, okay? If you go with me to Romans 4, uh, I'd like to just visit one of the New Testament references to the story of Abraham, and it is just one. You'll find it all over Galatians, uh, among other places. 
But here in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about this. And you'll remember, of course, that in the intervening years, thousands of years have gone by from those early promises to Abraham and his believing God. During this intervening time, the prophets have spoken of Messiah Jesus. Messiah has now come. He's lived, he's born in Bethlehem as we celebrate at Christmas. He has lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place bearing our sin in his own body on the cross. He has risen from the dead, ascended to heaven. And the Apostle Paul has come to faith, formerly an antagonist to the Christian faith. He's now come to faith and is now helping people understand what it means to know and trust Christ as their Savior. And upon whom does he rely as a prime example? <laughs> well, Abraham. In the text we saw in Genesis 15. So we read in Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, that means to be declared righteous. It's a legal term. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due, as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies, declares righteous, the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So verses 4 and 5 explain verse 3. Verse 4, you quickly get, all of you who's, who are employed... Right? You go to work for a period of time, whatever the pay period is, you get a, you know, okay, nowadays probably a direct deposit. Who gets checks anymore? But you know what I mean. Uh, when you get paid, very few of you will write a thank you note to your employer. Will you? Thank you so much. That was such a kind gesture on your part. Um, thank you again. Um, God bless you. No, you're not going to do that because, you, I mean, you earned it. Who says thank you when you earned it? That's the point here. The one who works, his wages are not a gift. They're his due. He earned it. Well, similarly, but to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Let me just say as directly as I can, this is one of the biggest points of confusion for a lot of people who think about issues of faith. Okay? In other words, the idea that people in church think that they're getting to heaven because they're kind of goody two-shoes. When, in fact, the key message of the Bible, are you ready? No one gets to heaven because they're good. Like, zero. Nobody. And that needs to be said to people who don't understand or still working on figuring out issues of faith. Um, but it also needs to be said to people in church because I believe that sometimes people in church end up thinking, <laughs> well... I mean, I do work hard at being good, so shouldn't that count for a little bit? How about just give me 5%, right? 95%, I mean, it's all about Jesus. 95%, and in my pocket, I've got my Jay was good card that's good for like 5% of this. So that when I get to heaven, God will say, hey, it was all the work of Jesus, and by the way, you did pretty well too. How about that? And the Bible says you can take out your little 5% card and throw it away. Because, by the way, you thought you had a 5% card. You didn't. You have a 0% card because everything you and I do somewhere along the way is tainted with self-interest. Everything we do falls short. You and I cannot earn 1% of forgiveness from God. Not 1%. 
It's Christ and him alone. It is all of him, not of you. So whether you do church all the time or whether you don't, listen, it is all of him. It is all his work. It is not your work at all to earn a place in the family of God. So, so you know, being good and working on all that, that comes, that comes afterwards because, it, because you're declared righteous before God. That's the after part when you are declared righteous. But may I even say this? Even the after part, when you, when you work on following Christ, that isn't what keeps you saved. Please get this. You are declared righteous before God on the basis of Christ and his work, and you are kept the same way by his grace, not by you behaving yourself. See, so it isn't saved by grace through faith and kept by you. It's saved by grace through faith, kept by grace through faith, getting to heaven one day. What is it? Repeat it, class. By grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. No one, no one gets to heaven to pat himself or herself on the back and say, yeah, I did pretty well. No, you get to heaven and you'll be like Abraham and fall on your face in the presence of God and say, it's all of you. Thank you so much for letting me show up here. Thank you for the work of Jesus. So Abraham, believing God and having that credited to him as righteousness, is held up through all the pages of Scripture for how anyone ever comes into the family of God. So Abraham, of course, that was before Jesus. He didn't know how it all worked. The object of his faith, faith was the promise-keeping God. He was looking forward to the coming of Jesus. We today look back on what Jesus did. But please understand, from the beginning of Scripture to the end, anyone who is ever right with God gets there by grace through faith. Sometimes people read the Old Testament and think wrongly. In the Old Testament, people kind of earned it. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, no, they didn't. <laughs> no one ever earns a place in the family of God by grace through faith alone. I hope that that's where your heart is today, that you would stand with Abraham and Sarah, those who believed God and it was credited as righteousness. If that's you today, please know that you are kept. You are kept in his family by his hand, not yours. And when you have a really bad day and struggle with stuff and question things, please know that that isn't a day that God says, you know, you're just too much work and you're out. Let's face it. You're always too much work. So am I, even on your best day. No, you're kept by him, by the power of God. Peter writes about that you're kept by faith, by the power of God, uh, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter would say, in this you greatly rejoice. Indeed, indeed. Look to that part on your notes called responding to God's word. Read all the rest of my notes there, if you would, as you have time. But under the part called responding to God's word, we're going to see, I'm just looking ahead with you, uh, God's uh, promised greater son of Abraham. Certainly Isaac uh, points toward that greater son of Abraham, Jesus, born in Bethlehem. It's interesting. Uh, again, all these little connections are good for you to know. 
Abraham, of course, is called by God to, to present Isaac, his son, his only son, the son he loves. You'll read in Genesis 22, uh, kind of a prototype moment for Christ. Mount Moriah, which today is located in Jerusalem, that's the place where the, uh, it's a holy site of Islam. It's called the Dome of the Rock. That's historically the place where Abraham sacrifices or is going to sacrifice Isaac. And, of course, you, you have all that struggle going on, the descendants of Ishmael, descendants of Isaac. It's, it's just so contemporary as you read the Bible and see these struggles. But my, 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 I just wanted to just notice, note that with you, the look ahead to the greater son of Abraham, Jesus, coming. But my final comment there is just a reminder to you, I am, I am really aware as your pastor that well, well, Easter or Easter, Christmas, Christmas is a wonderful time of great joy and celebration and stars and lights, and I love it, as do I think all of you. I'm also really aware for many it's a time of pain. I know that. A whole bunch of you do too. That well, the world seemed all seems happy. Sometimes you can feel like you're the only one who's remembering a loss or struggling with things that you're waiting for and not receiving. Um, things you're waiting to see healed or fixed. You can feel like you're the only one. And I just want to remind you as we work through this, we don't say it all the time, but it's, it's there. I'm aware Christmas is a painful time for many. And if it is for you, please know you're not alone. Um, there are painful memories some have, things that we wish for and don't yet have. I understand. I really do. I'm with you in that waiting. So please know the comfort of God if that's you. Okay? God's promises stretch our faith. Indeed, they do. God is a promise-keeping God. You can take that to the bank. I'd like to pray for us. If you'd stand with me, please, as we do that. <clears throat> Our Father, thank you for the stories that you tell us in the Bible, people, real people, stories of faith and struggle and I'm grateful that you tell us and you tell it just the way it was and the way it is because we're real people too and sometimes our faith isn't perfect sometimes we struggle we really do and we believe we're like that one guy who came to Jesus and said Lord I believe but but help my unbelief we too believe we trust Christ as our Savior we do and then we struggle with things thank you that you know that and you accept us anyway you welcome us grateful for that. Please help us in our struggle. For folks here today, even now, uh, who are maybe in a, in a real struggle this morning, would you have your hand on each of them for good? Give us comfort and peace and joy. Bless us in these weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.